Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you a question. What does freedom mean to you? How do you define freedom? I mean, we, we appreciate freedom, but I'm wondering, what, well, how do you define freedom? You know, we've talked about the United States because we're celebrating our, our anniversary of our independence. And uh, back in that day, there were people that found that they no longer were willing to live under a tyrannical reign. They were no longer live under oppression. They were no longer willing to be dominated or controlled by a power that didn't really care about their well-being, but were more focused on taxation and pulling from them rather than giving to them and being concerned about their well-being. Taxation without representation. We know these things. And so the founding fathers got together and expressed the sentiment that was in the populace of our nation, and they, made a, a, they wrote out a statement trying to pin the words and trying to put to words what they felt like would be just and was a just response. And, you know, they first just tried to, to reason with, with England and, and tell them that, look, this, is, this feels like we're not being really taken care of, like you're, we're being taken advantage of. And they, they weren't trying to separate from a union to begin with when the dialogue first started. And then they got the uh, regal backslap from King George. And uh, they, they ended up deciding that we have no recourse except to move forward and, and write this document and present this document declaring our independence from the, the, the British Empire, from the, the kingdom. They had to get rid of that. I mean, they had to be free from that. But what does freedom mean to you? You know, in, in recent years, just a couple of years ago now, I went down to Cuba, my first time actually in a communist country, um, I've landed in one before, but I've never actually traveled around in a country. And while it was interesting because you saw people, they were playing music and having a good time and doing things, but there were boundaries to things. There are certain things that they weren't supposed to talk about. And we were able to go to church, and they allowed them to have church, but the, in church you were watched. And we were able to do have meetings with pastors and things like that, but even some of the pastors would tell us that we know that after this meeting, that they're going to pull us in and, and uh, they're going to um, interrogate us about what was going on in this meeting. And we know that they are going to keep us for hours and it won't be comfortable, but we'd rather go ahead and do it anyhow. You know, um, um, I lived in a country for 10 years that was in civil war and I, I, my first alarm clock in the morning, usually about 5 o'clock in the morning, was in my little in my bed as an 11, 12, 13-year-old was to hear bombers flying over at 5 o'clock in the morning. And as the, the sound of the bombers would go over, you, you would, I mean, I can remember the, you know how when an airplane flies over, the sound kind of changes as going off in the distance? Literally listening to hear if, as the sound was going over, if I could also hear the sound of something falling, You've, you may have heard the sound like... Not like a sound when something's descending from the sky. An 11, 12, 13-year-old hearing the bombers in the morning and wondering if, is that the sound of something falling? But they were, thankfully, bombers from our side that were going out to attack the enemy. And uh, that's what I lived with. So when I talk about America, um, I have a T-shirt at the house that says, uh, born in South Africa or something like that. I was born in a foreign country. L literally, I was born in a country where I, we saw oppression. We saw 
people being kept down. We saw people that didn't have rights. And I remember as a child living in a place to where if somebody walked down the street, the police could at any time call for their identification and, and tell them that we, you know, what are you doing here? Why, what, what makes you think you can be in this neighborhood? Things like that. So I've seen oppression. I, I know what that's like. But I've always been an American citizen. My parents were American citizens, so when I was born in South Africa, I may have been born in that country, but because my parents were both American citizens, I was born as an American citizen. I've always carried an American passport. I've always considered myself an American. So when we would come back to the States, even though it was a new experience to me, I didn't know how to dial the telephone, the school systems were different and everything like that, but it was home. And there was a peacefulness here to be able to come to a nation where I didn't have to be afraid of being shot going down the street. or didn't have to be afraid of, of that type of thing. It's a blessing to be in the United States. And I don't know if we know how to take, take full appreciation of that. I need to get back to my point here, and I want to say, what, what does freedom mean to you? What does freedom mean to you? Some, for some people, freedom means I get to do whatever I want to do. They define freedom that way. But that's not freedom. That's anarchy. That's, if you can do whatever you want to do with no regard for anybody else, that's just anarchy. And if you have anarchy and lawlessness, Scripture talks about lawlessness. It talks about a man of lawlessness will come and actually a spirit of lawlessness that will pervade in the last days. And we see hints of that in our nation. We don't just see hints of it. We see that a, a demonstration that of our nation. It's just lawless. They don't care what the law is. I don't care what anybody thinks or what anybody says. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I don't care who it hurts because I am basically my own God. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's not freedom. That's anarchy. Have you ever noticed that the word freedom and kingdom both have a dome on the end? You ever notice that? The word, I mean, the, the, the root there for dom actually speaks of law or statutes. There's rules. You may be free, but there's still a dom. There's a territory involved. There's a jurisdiction involved in that. So, I mean, you may feel like freedom, that you would just like to be able to be free. I don't want anybody restraining me. I don't want anybody telling me to, anything to do. But there is protection in the dom, in the law, or in the guidance, or the direction, or the statute. There's protection in that. You know, if you want to be totally free, you can take off naked running through the woods if you want to. I know that wasn't religious. I did it on purpose. Everybody wakes up. You take off running through the woods naked, and you're going to, come, you're going to realize that there are briars. You know, there's ticks out there. Try taking a seat somewhere. You know? There's a reason for certain things being in place that's protection for us. Okay, that was probably the strangest illustration. <laughs> yeah, don't look that up. <laughs> there's, there's protection. And God, even in our freedom, our, our supposed freedom, there, there's guidance in this direction for us. Do you know that something that makes man distinct from, from every other creature, every other living thing in the world is the fact that, that a lot of these, uh, all the animals, if they're driven by instinct, there's certain urges that they have, they just follow their urges. They eat, they drink, 
you know, it's even predictable that there are certain times when fish or animals will feed more than other things. The deer are out at certain times, the moon's in a certain place or whatever, that there's things that are predictable. The last uh, couple of Wednesday nights, we came out from Bible study, looked out there, and there's 19 deer out in that field one night. Then there was 10 deer out in the field. They were, they were out feeding in the field. I'm sure the farmer was delighted. But there are things that are set in place in the earth to govern our lives, and God put them there for our protection. Um, but there's a reason why we have laws, because it's there to guide us. Now, let's go back to freedom. The interesting thing about the word freedom, we've already talked about the, the dom aspect of it. There are laws and statutes that guide even fr being free. Our freedom should not impinge on the rights of somebody else. Our freedom should not be harmful to somebody else. There are boundaries to our freedom. You know, the root, if you look up the word, we understand what free is, being free. It means that basically you're able to do what you want. The actual, if you go back and look at the word freedom, there's actually a, a part to that, and I'm not going to go into all the, the, the detail, details of it, except that the, the part of that word actually comes from a, a root for the word to love. That, that freedom is tied to I get to do the things that I love to do. I get to do the things that I desire to do. I get the things that are important to me. So you're free, but even within that freedom to be able to focus on the things that you love, there's still guidance, there's still a dom, there, but you have the territory or the discretion to set up what it is, the, the things that you do, you are important to you. You get to set the rules in a way. But there's a difference, and we need to understand the difference between freedom and kingdom. Do you know, I worked with real estate in real estate for a while, the term for real estate or realty literally comes from, from the, the, the term royalty because in England and other countries, all the land is owned by the king. And so the king has complete jurisdiction over what happens in the land. That's, the, that's where the word realty actually came from. It was regal, um, regal territory. And, and in that land, even today in England, when you buy a piece of property, you can buy a piece of land, then you have the use of it, but actually you only have the use of the lease of that land. Every piece of land is, is given a 100-year lease by the state or by the, the government. And when you buy a piece of land, not only do you look at, at the value of the land and everything like that, but you also look at the term of the lease, because it may be that you're buying a piece of land. There may be only 20 years left on that lease. And at the end of the 20 years, the government gets to decide what's going to happen with that land. Will they reclaim it and take it back into the government inventory and, and redetermine the use of it? Or will we allow an extension on that lease and give another 100 years for it to be uh, residential or are they going to turn it into business? So you may purchase, a, purchase land, but you're really only purchasing the lease of the land because it's completely controlled by the government. But God... God, everything that is, everything that ever will be, is under God's control. God is king. Will you turn with me to Isaiah chapter, chapter 46? We're going to look at some scripture. Our freedom, we have the ability to do what we desire, but we need to understand that there are jurisdictions in place that we have to function within. And we look in Isaiah chapter 46, we're going to see something very powerful. I have been doing a study on the will of God 
And we won't get very deeply into that. We are going to touch on it for just a little bit. But I'm going to tell you, it, it, it brought some powerful revelation to me. And I want to know who moved chapter 46 in my Bible. I got it. Scripture declares that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We may have been birthed into this earth, and we may have this time span that's been given us to live, and in this time span we can express our free will, we can make decisions about ourselves, but the reality is we're still living under this jurisdiction of the Almighty. And man's free will, something that makes him distinct from all the animals and all the creatures of the earth, we were given intellect to be able to think, we're also given a free will that we can act in the way that we desire to live. But we also have to understand, if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 30, we read some of that the other week, but Deuteronomy chap chapter 30 explains that, you know, we, can, we have the right to make our decisions, but there's also consequences that come with our decisions. And if our decisions are contrary to God's will, there's, there are, are judgments that come on us. There's consequences that come on that. And that affects people around the world, whether they know God or not. There's consequences that come from violating God's principles and God's commands. There is no question in Scripture as to whether or not God's purposes will be accomplished. The real question that we have to ask is, will we take our freedom, our ability to decide for ourselves, and will we make our decision, will we decide to take our freedom and marry it to God's kingdom so that his will becomes our will, and we're able to work with him in accomplishing his purposes. Did you get that? We have the ability to take our freedom and align it with God's purposes and God's plan. In that, there's blessings. But there's no question as to whether or not God's purpose will come about. Let's look at, at uh, um, Psalm chapter, I'm sorry, Isaiah, <laughs> Isaiah 46, and we're going to look at verse 9. We'll start there. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Listen to what God says. We're going to read through, through verse 11. Remember the things I've done in the past, for I alone am God. I am God, and there's none like me. Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I will do whatever I wish. I will call a swift bird of prey from the east, a leader, from a distant land to come and do my bidding. I have said what I would do, and I will do it. God makes no equivocation in, in his purpose and his plan. He says, look, I've decided what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do it. It's going to happen. The things that God has set in motion from the beginning of time will be accomplished at the end of time. There is no question about it. Their only question is, are you going to be aligned with God's purpose and plan? Are you going to be a part of the blessing, or will you be among those who choose not to be a part of God's kingdom, and therefore there's, a, there, there's consequences that come upon us for that? Now, I'm, I'm speaking to people in this place that predominantly, I, I believe all of us, I don't know of anybody here who's not made a commitment to the Lord, so I'm speaking to believers, but even as believers, we need to make up our minds as to whether or not we're going to live our lives in such a way that brings honor to God. There's people who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They've accepted him as their Savior, but yet they're still utilizing the discretion of their own free will, and they are not necessarily yielding themselves to the purpose and the plan of God. But isn't it interesting when you look at even the life of Jesus, 
that Jesus made declarations in his life about how he was giving himself over to the purpose of God. In Matthew chapter 6, in verse 10, he prayed, he prayed the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. I'm reading out a different version, so it's going to freak people out. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is making a declaration. It's something that we need to take to heart in our own lives. I pray this over myself and over my household. Lord, I want what you desire to be done in my life. I want what you desire to be done in my family. I want what you desire to be done if you've got a business. I want what you desire to be done in my business. Guide me, direct me. Let me know if there's something I'm doing that's not right. I want everything that I am and everything that I have and everything that I'm doing to be lined up with your purpose and plan. Look at Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. Jesus said this, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. What he's saying, there's a lot of people that may flippantly call out to the Lord, but their heart's not really in it. I don't think that this is any way making salvation uh, um, um, a light. I don't mean to say light. I don't think this any way talking about salvation as though it's a flippant thing that can be lost or taken away. But I think that this is sincerity that's there. Um, if somebody really aligns themselves with the Lord, if they really desire to live for the Lord and they really make a commitment to the Lord, I believe the Holy Spirit will be there to guide them in life and give them direction and, and will keep them in the, in the path of righteousness and help them live a life that will, will honor the Lord. Let's go to John 4. John 4, 34. John 4 and 34. Jesus said this, he says, he says, my nourishment, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. And this is Jesus talking. Jesus has his, his bread, his, his nourishment, his sustenance comes from doing the will of God who sent him. He found fulfillment. He found life. He found purpose in being aligned with, with God's purpose. He was God. He was God in, in human flesh. But he understood that his purpose for being alive here on the earth was to fulfill what his father told him to do. You know, he talks about how he said, I only do what I see the father do. I, I, only, I only say what I hear him say. That he had completely um, uh, aligned himself with God's purpose and plan. And that was, that was all his desire. That's what he wanted. I want us to, let's, let's, let's jump from here. We're going to take a little bit of a different track, and it may seem unusual to you, but can we turn to Genesis chapter 2? There's something that God's been putting in my heart, and I believe it's a timely word for us that we need to get a hold of. Um, and I, I trust that the Lord would give me the ability to be able to communicate this to you to where to become something that just impregnates your life and you can never get away from it. But turn to Genesis chapter 2. There's been discussion around this recently, but I'm not going to take the same, the same path that some of the discussion has been. But um, 
Genesis chapter 2 and verse 8 says this. That we're talking about the Garden of Eden. We're talking about creation and all that's been going on. It says, and then God planted a garden east in Eden in the east. And there he placed the man that he had made. So God, you know, there's some describe, and, and I, I tend to believe this, that there's a, a story of creation that's given that has, that has God's um, perspective on creation. And then there's basically a retelling of creation in, in chapter 2, where it is from man's perspective about creation. And some people have different opinions on that. that that's my personal opinion. But something that's very important to me, if you go, if you go back to um, the first telling, like chapter 1, and every reference, I, I, I take note when I see Jesus and when it says Jesus or if it says Jesus Christ or if it says uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to know, so why did they use a, a defining name for Jesus or in a different way in those passages? Why is it that they describe him as Lord Jesus Christ or Jesus Christ our Lord? Why did the writer choose to write that way? If you look at Genesis chapter 1, you'll find that there's only one name for God used in those passages. It doesn't go back and forward. Of course, it's not talking about Jesus right here, but it doesn't even use, it, it talks about God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if you take that, the word that's used there to describe God, it is the word Elohim, and it's talking about him in his almighty power. He's the almighty God. He's the creator. He is the, the almighty God exercised his might, his strength, and he made a determination to create the earth, to create all those things that are in place. But you come back to that next passage where it's basically like a retelling of creation, and all of a sudden there's another term that's used there, and it says the Lord God. And when you look at the term Lord God that's used consistently through that passage, you'll find that the word Lord doesn't look like the way we would normally like Lord. There's a capital L. Normally, we would write a capital L and then small lowercase o-r-d. But in that position, it has a capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And that's specifically done. I know that people take issue with that. Some people take issue with that. But really, that word for Lord, in all caps like that, is to replace the word Yahweh in the Bible. And, and the reason some people say, well, they took Yahweh out. No, it was actually done out of respect. You know, back in that day when they were transcribing the Bible, they, they would come to the name of the Lord. Now, in, in the Jewish culture, they wouldn't even say the name of the Lord. They wouldn't even pronounce his name. They considered it too holy to even be pronounced. And then when the monks were transcribing the scriptures, writing out the scriptures, before they would write the name of the Lord, they would go and bathe and wash themselves before they would come back and actually scribe the name of the Lord because they considered it such a holy name. And so they took the name Yahweh, which was not allowed to be pronounced in the Jewish culture, and in the English Bible, they put the word Lord in all caps so that we would know which name that was. And why is that important for this passage? Because actually, the name Yahweh that we write in all caps as Lord was a covenantal relationship name. It's not just a, a distant, all-powerful, I can do whatever I want, but this is the revelation of God where God is desiring to be in relationship with mankind. So 
really, if you read it with that understanding, you start reading this passage, you recognize that this is a God who is endeavoring to be in relationship with his creation, to be in relationship with Adam and Eve, to be in relationship with mankind. And this is his tender and gentle workings with them as he is reaching out to them, as he is the one who's wanting to walk with them in the cool of the evening. And there's an intimacy of relationship that's going on right here. But it says, the Lord God, Yahweh, planted a garden in Eden. He's creating a paradise for Adam and Eve to live in. He's creating a space for them, a special place. The Lord made all sorts of trees to grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. Anybody like a summer peach? You ever get one of those peaches from the grocery store that's been in storage for too long? That's a terrible thing. It's nothing like the real thing. I don't think that God had freezer peaches in the garden. Delicious fruit, it says. I love it. Just kind of ooze all down. Man. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, it doesn't take very long, and all of a sudden, the whole focus is on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And very little is said about the tree of life. Hardly anything is said about the tree of life in this passage. And that's amazing to me, because I want to know about it. Let's turn over to, to uh, chapter 3, and we're going to talk about 22 and 24. Now, here's the thing. Our understanding is that that tree of life is something that Adam and Eve had access to. There was restriction with regards to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we know that when they partook of that tree, they did become aware of sinfulness and sin and the fact that they had fallen out of grace with God. But they, there was no restriction for them to be able to partake of that tree of life. God didn't restrict that to them. And apparently the tree of life gave them the ability to be able to, to, to live eternally. And it speaks to us of relationship and intimacy with God. But it was actually a tree in the garden. Look in, uh, in, in uh, chapter 3 and verse 22 through 24. So this is after they had, after they had fallen, okay? After God had made provision with skins for Adam and, and his wife, Adam and Eve. 22 says, Then the Lord God said, Look at the human beings, or, or man, mankind. They have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out and take from the tree of life and eat it? Then they will live forever. If you go back and you, and you go into the, the, the ancient language regarding that, into the Hebrew, by the, it actually says, what if they go and take again of the tree of life? So the symbolism there is that there was something that they could, they could partake of and it would somehow extend their life. It gave the ability to keep living. And if they had the ability to just have free access back to that tree of life, even with the knowledge of good and evil, then they might be able to extend their life. And uh, so God separated that and banished them from the garden and set cherubim in place with fiery swords to where Adam and Eve could not go back and, and have access to that tree. But I want us to jump over to Revelation chapter 2. Here's the good news. Here's the good news, because every one of us, I'll tell you what, mankind has a common, a common challenge. Everybody that you go around here on the earth has, has an issue that they're dealing with, and just about everywhere you go throughout the world, there's a common, 
a, a common difficulty, and that is a fear of death. Everywhere you go around the world, people are doing their best to survive. They're struggling and striving to be able to survive. And I am really late on time. Look at Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 7 says, Anyone who, who, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the, to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To anyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Is there a tree available to mankind? There is. Let's turn to, to uh, chapter 22. I just, there's something I want you to get a hold of today. So I'm going to move quick, okay? Let Revelation chapter, 20, chapter 22 says this. Then the angel showed me a river. Oh my goodness, this is some good scriptures. I would love to be able to get to you, but I'm not going to be able to. Then the angel showed me a river with the river of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and, and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nation. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him. Lord. Look at verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes, they will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. The tree of life is still available today. Verse 19, look at verse 19. And if anyone removes any of the words from the book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share of the tree of life and in the, and in the holy city that are described in this book. So there are people that will be banished from the tree of life. If they're tampering with God's word or with the prophecy. Ezekiel chapter, 20, chapter 47 says this. I've got to go there. Ezekiel 47. Yeah, I know I'm rushing. There's a principle that I need you to get. So there's a, a vision that the, the prophet Ezekiel was given, and I want to go through verse 12. Okay. In my vision, the man brought me back into the entrance of the temple. And there I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right of the altar on the south side. The man brought me outside the wall through the north gateway and led me around to the entrance. So we're talking about a vision of the temple of God. And they see this river that's flowing out from the, the temple of God and it's flowing on the south side of the altar. And then it's going out towards the east gate. And on the south side of the east gate, this river is going out. But... This angel, the angelic being, takes him out the north gate on this side and brings him around. And when they come around the side of the temple, they're able to see this river continuing to flow out of the temple. The man brought me outside the wall through the north gateway and led me around to the east entrance. There I could see the water flowing through the south side of the east gateway. Measuring as he went, he took me along the stream for, this, this version says 1,750 feet. It's 1,000 cubits. A 1,000 cubits, but uh, 1,750 feet, and he led me across, and the water was up to my ankles. So he goes out, the water's up to his ankles. They go out even further, the same distance, 1,000 cubits or 1,750 feet. They get out there, and now the water has come up to his knees. 
It says they go along another distance, the same distance, and this time the water's up to the waist. Verse 5, they go a little bit further, and all of a sudden it's too deep to walk. You have to swim in this river. The river has grown, grown so amazing and so deep that it's, it's too big. It says, and look at, look at verse 6. He asked me, have you been watching some, Son of Man? Then he led me back along the riverbank, and when I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. Remember that, that image that we had from Revelation where it talks about a river flowing from the throne of God, and there's a tree there, and there's fruit there for the nations? Well, here it says there's many trees growing along both sides of the river. Then he said to me, this river flows east through the desert, dry place, death, into the, sea, into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. Pastor Eric, you've been swimming in the Dead Sea, haven't you? Did you go? <laughs> You're floating, I should say. There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. The fish will abound in the Dead Sea. Now that's supernatural because nothing can live in that Dead Sea. For its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever this river flows. Fishermen will stand along the shores of the Dead Sea. Fishermen. All the way from Engedi to... In, I'm going to mis, mispronounce that, so we'll just go on. The shores will be covered with nets drying in the sun. Fish of every kind will fill the Dead Sea just as they filled the Mediterranean. Um, let's skip down to verse 12. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow along the sides of the river. The trees... The, the leaves of these trees will never turn brown or fall. There will always be fruit on their branches. There will be a new crop every month, for they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. And the fruit will be for food and the leaves for healing. So the, 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 the effect of that river flowing from the temple of God and what it produced through the trees that were along the banks are the same as what we see in the temple, in end times, that river that's flowing from the throne of God and the tree of life that's there and the fruit that, and the leaves that are available for healing for the nations. If you go to John, John 7, and we won't take the time to go there, but John 7, 37 and 39, the scripture talks about a river for those who are thirsty, if you'll come and ask of the Lord, that he would give you something to drink, that when you drink of it, it would become a river of living water flowing out, that you would never be thirsty again. I want to just embed something in your spirit right now and let you know that that river that this scripture speaks about from the temple, and that river that's in the throne of God in eternity is a, is a river that God has put in our hearts and in our lives through the Holy Spirit. God is desiring to flow through our lives. And if you can just take hold of it, I want you to take hold of it. Understand this, that that life of God is alive inside of you if you're a child of God, if his Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of you. Don't bottle it up. Don't stop it up. Don't repress it or suppress it. The Spirit of God is speaking into your heart and into your life, and he is bringing words of life. There, we've got that tree up there. I'm telling you, I am so pregnant with things I want to be able to share with you about what God desires to do. Understand God's purpose. God takes a seed and he puts it in, in soil. But it's the transformation of the soil and coming into line with the purpose and plan, the will of God that brings about transformation and the demonstration of the will of God as the, the soil is transformed into the image 
that is produced through that seed. From that seed becomes the leaves and fruitfulness that, that Galatians talks about being the fruit of the Spirit, demonstrating God and his nature and his character through our lives. No matter what our circumstance is, or not, no matter what our, our situation is, it may be an uncomfortable thing to us, but we learn that in the midst of that, that we're not our own. Our freedom has, been, has come under his kingdom and now we operate as kingdom people. And what is demonstrated through our lives is his life and his fruitfulness. Folks, we've got a world out here that's starving. And they are outside of the garden of God. They don't have access to the tree of life. But God's desiring to use you as a manifestation of the tree of life. That you give them his life. That you give him fruitfulness. That you give him so that they can partake of the leaves because his life is producing, his life, the river, is producing life in you that the nations get to partake of. That's why we're here. <laughs> if you're a believer, don't go looking out there for your source of strength. Start looking at the Holy One that's been given to you. Start drawing from the river that he's put deep within you. It's... It's not just something that you dabble your toes in on Sunday morning. It's something you keep walking out deeper and deeper, and before long you find that you are being carried along by the river of God, that he's moving you and directing you. You're being moved by his will, by his direction, and by his plan. And God can do awesome things through us. I'm so excited about this evangelistic team that's forming, that people are getting together because they're hungry about doing something and going out and sharing God's word with people. So they're going through some instruction to teach them how to share what do you do? What don't you do? But how to be able to communicate their faith with the Lord. And I know they're going to get together. If other people want to join after, after the baptismal service, they're going to be meeting over in the fellowship hall. And I think they're going to be having food over there too. But uh, may God work effectively through each of us. Look, I know that we went through a whole lot of things today. And I can't say that I was as eloquent as I would have liked to have been in sharing with you. But folks, we need to get animated and activated and available for the Lord. We've only begun to see what God can do through us. But God's going to set people free. God's going to give life to people. I want to be right in the middle of it. Whatever he's doing, I want to be in the middle of it. Amen? Would you stand with me? We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, oh, Lord, I, I feel like I've run through this and made people drink from a fire hose. But Father, I pray what was coming out of that fire hose was water from heaven. <laughs> Lord, would you just ignite something inside of us? Take this water and, and Lord, would you burst something in our hearts, your God? Lord, we're looking for answers. We're looking for the source, dear God, when you're making us the source for other people. That's what you've called us to be, dear God, that we draw deeply, we let our roots sink down into you, that we stand on the banks of this river and we draw life from you, dear God. And then as we're doing that and we're being nourished and changed and, and begin to become fruitful, dear Lord, that other people can come and, and, and gain life for themselves, dear Lord. They can hear your word, 
They can get insight. They can have their eyes opened, your Lord. They can be healed and restored to you. And God, that they can put down their own roots along that riverbank, your God. And they can become trees manifesting your life so that other people can draw life. And what was a tree becomes a forest, your God. So Lord, would you work through us, your God? Lord Jesus, I pray for your Holy Spirit to run richly through us, that deep, deep river, dear God, that brings life to us and, and flows through us. Lord, that we would not be limited to our own natural ability, but we would walk in your supernatural. God, I speak life over everybody in this place. Lord, eradicate every voice of the enemy that would try to convince us or even to have us to say anything that's contrary to your word, your God. May your word be our standard and our testimony. Dear God, may we declare what you declared, your God, and not speak the word of any other. And God, we'll give you the praise and the glory for it, Lord. Use us for your glory. Not my will, but yours be done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God, we will give you praise and we will give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. <music>